listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Is America a racist country? That's the question that South Carolina Senator Tim Scott decided to delve into in response to President Biden's recent speech in front of a joint session of Congress. Scott is an African-American, and he said no. America is not a racist country. And in fact, he went much further in saying that Democrats, President Biden's party, are the ones who are driving America apart by talking about race and racism and white supremacy and inequality. And instead of refuting Scott by pointing out the racism that so clearly is embedded in our systems and institutions here in America— You recently heard President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris echo similar statements, questioning whether America is a racist country. My guest is Dr. Rashan Ray, and he's the Rubenstein Fellow of Governance Studies at the Brookings Institution, and he has decided to take on this issue in an essay for Brookings, and it is titled, Is the United States a Racist Country? Dr. Ray, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. Yes. All right, so I want to start off by listening to some of what Senator Scott said in his speech. I have experienced the pain of discrimination. I know what it feels like to be pulled over for no reason, to be followed around the store while I'm shopping. I remember every morning at the kitchen table, my grandfather would open the newspaper and read it, I thought. But later I realized he had never learned to read it. He just wanted to set the right example. I've also experienced a different kind of intolerance. I get called Uncle Tom and the N-word by progressives, by liberals. When America comes together, we've made tremendous progress, but powerful forces want to pull us apart. A hundred years ago, kids in classrooms were taught the color of their skin was their most important characteristic. And if they looked a certain way, they were inferior. Today, kids are being taught that the color of their skin defines them again. And if they look a certain way, they're an oppressor. From colleges to corporations to our culture, people are making money and gaining power by pretending we haven't made any progress at all by doubling down on the divisions we've worked so hard to heal. You know this stuff is wrong. Hear me clearly. America is not a racist country. So, I mean, that's a very impassioned part of Senator Scott's speech. He starts it with his own experiences as a black man in America, noting that he's experienced discrimination discrimination and bias, uh, but says that these are not part of a systemic inequality in our country anymore. I, I, I thought, you know, just from an argumentative standpoint, this was a pretty masterfully constructed speech, uh, partially because of that absolute uh, embrace of the idea that discrimination does uh, exist and affect black people uh, in America. Of course, I deeply disagree with his conclusion here that uh, that these are not part of 
uh, a, a larger systemic uh, issue. Uh, but, but Dr. Ray, I want to have you start there with this part of Senator Scott's speech and, and react to it, but also talk about the clear intention here uh, of the Republican Party, I think, by choosing an African-American, their only African-American senator, to deliver this message and to whom they think that message uh, will, will, will resonate. So I think it's a few things that people really need to recognize. The first is that, as I wrote in this piece at Brookings, racism is no more transparent than in an institution with the least representative racial representation like the Senate. There have been only 11 Black senators in roughly 232 years. Scott makes up one of the 11, along with some of the other ones who are quite notable, who we know, and, and, you know, Senator Cory Booker right now, but also Vice President Harris uh, most recently and President Barack Obama a bit before that. And so as we think about this, um, I think for a lot of people it's puzzling and what they hear is the embedded contradictions in his statements. It was very purposeful on the Republican Party's uh, part to put Senator Scott out front. I mean, of course, he's also leading um, he's also leading the criminal the, the criminal justice reform, police reform, uh, response and negotiations on behalf of the Republicans. But we have to ask ourselves, like he was the only one they could have chosen. He's the only black one on that side. And so it's pretty interesting. It's, it's all and, and, and people have to re- understand why this is not just Scott, but also Vice President Harris and even President Biden, who was quite forceful in his congressional um, address about the role of systemic racism. Then he rolled it back a bit a couple of days later. And why would that be? Well, one thing all three of them know, whether that be in the state of South Carolina or across the country, that they not only have to appeal to people who understand and recognize that systemic racism plays a role, but also those who don't and those who over-individualize racism. See, that's ultimately what he was trying to juxtapose. He was trying to say, oh, it's just a few bad apples. It's just a few bad police officers that pulled me over and, and nothing more than that, right, when he talks about experiencing discrimination. But of course, as my research has highlighted, particularly when it comes to law enforcement, is that bad apples come from somewhere and those bad apples come from rotten trees in law enforcement that is oftentimes imbued with roots that link back to systemic racism and slave patrol. So for politicians, it's almost as if simply saying America is not racist, but then turning the other cheek and saying it is racist in a subtler form and that racist things have been done to them makes it okay. It's confusing to Americans and the international community, but it also speaks to cognitive dissonance that as a sociologist, I find quite explainable. So, so uh, this, this idea of individual versus systemic responsibility for racism is, I think, uh, the critical point for white America. Right. Um, White Americans in so many instances feel accused by statements that say, look, uh, this is a this is a a racist country. They feel as though that's an indictment of them personally. And I I think one of the things that uh, that Senator Scott was doing and certainly what the president and the vice president were doing, were trying to de-escalate. Uh, the level of that accusation uh, to 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 not back uh, 
white Americans into a corner in which they, they are now ready to fight because they're saying, well, I'm not a racist and nothing in my life reflects uh, that kind of uh, racism. And uh, yes, that is a very dangerous, uh, it's a very dangerous idea uh, to let settle in because uh, the truth is uh, we are all, we all have responsibility, I think, certainly for dismantling uh, the racist system that, that, that is in place. But we also have to talk about uh, the responsibility that white America has for maintaining that system, whether, whether uh, an individual is, is racist or not. Uh, so often, the things that they do, the things that they say, the way they react to things uh, helps solidify those institutions and helps perpetuate uh, the inequality. This, uh, for me, this is the toughest part of the discussion about racism in America. The, I mean, uh, Senator Scott put his finger right on it, and I think he, I think he got it wrong, uh, but he's not wrong about where where the focus should be. Yeah, I mean that's exactly right. Look, when a person critiques America for the racism that is deeply embedded in our social institutions, some feel they are being personally attacked. And this is because deep down, they realize that the benefit, that they actually benefit from unearned assets associated with whiteness. And unfortunately, that's true. And, I, and I've always found it puzzling about the critique that simply talking about systemic racism and the role that it plays, some sort of way is a critique on them. Because look, as a man, I don't take it personally when people say that sexism exists. You know what? It does. And even though women can be successful in America, sexism does hold them back. And anyone who doesn't want to admit that, any man or woman who doesn't want to admit that, become complicit in some of the things that are occurring. So, so we can think about that juxtaposition. And, and this is the bottom line, that when we look systemically, we know that Black people compared to whites are more likely to attend schools with less funding per student. And we're talking about across the country, we're talking about $23 billion less. Hmm. We also know that black people are less likely to obtain a job because of our black sounding name like Rayshawn. <laughs> and even when we attend an Ivy League university or one of the top public institutions like Berkeley or um, Indiana or Michigan, all universities where I've spent time at, we know that we're still less likely to get a job. We also know we're less likely to get a home loan, even when we have the same credit score. And then when our house is appraised, whether it be in a predominantly black or predominantly white neighborhood, and we are there for the appraisal, we know that our homes are appraised for less. And then when we talk about health, we talked about COVID, but we could also talk about maternal mortality and how even being wealthy, and fit like Serena Williams and Beyonce did not protect them from almost dying out after having their children. Then, of course, we could talk about contact with police, where black people are 3.5 times more likely than whites to be killed by police when they're not attacking or have a weapon. And the bottom line is systemic racism inhibits rather than prohibits. We, we have to be clear inhibits, meaning reduces the likelihood prohibits, meaning completely wipes it out. Systemic racism inhibits people's ability to actualize all aspects of the American dream. And until, until we address that, we haven't fully gotten past racism. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm talking with uh, Dr. Rayshon Ray. He is the Rubenstein Fellow of Governance Studies at the Brookings Institution and recently wrote an essay for Brookings titled, Is the United States a Racist Country? That's what we're talking about, uh, this, this question that uh, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott raised recently in response to President Joe Biden's address to a joint session of Congress. Uh, Scott said, America is not a racist country, despite the racist incidents that he has faced and bias that he's faced in his life. He says these are not functions of a systemically racist society anymore in this country uh, and are the provenance of individuals who may be racist. It's an important question for this ongoing discussion that we're having about racism and white supremacy in America and uh, whether we can uh, move on from being under the thumb of those institutions. Uh, we really want to hear from you this uh, this hour as well. Uh, give us a call and tell us what your response is to the question, is America a racist country? Tell us what your reaction was when you heard Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina say very forcefully that America is not a racist country. And how do you think we can begin to have a better conversation about these things to be able to dismantle the institutions of racism and white supremacy in America? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter, put comments there. We'll try to work you into the conversation we already have a number of uh, social media comments about this. I want to read a couple of them now. Uh, Jerry on Twitter, or Jenny on Twitter, I'm sorry, says, uh, for not being a racist country, America sure preserves, upholds, rewards, and repeats racist actions. Um, That's a really uh, great observation there, Jenny. Big Neo on Twitter says, the issue is definitions and meanings of words and phrases. When Senator Tim Scott made his statement, he meant policies and laws. When folks challenge him, they're talking about people. The same language is not being spoken, and that's a big part of the problem. Max on Twitter says, uh, does he tell us the exact date and time when racism ended? I would love to know. Uh, Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's start with John. Welcome to the show. You're taking my call. Um, yeah. So, first of all, I, I was really shocked when Tim Scott said that, to be honest. I just thought that, you know, that this believing that things are great are, is just kind of crazy. And so, you know, we've had a lot of discussions and over the time down here in Jeff Chalmers. And the fact of the matter is, is that I find that I have racial tendencies. We all do. Um, our mother taught us early on not to trust strangers, don't take candy from strangers, all this kind of stuff, and it's just ingrained in, in us. And it, it's, it's no more telling than when the, uh, what was the uh, UPS, not UPS, FedEx shooting. I, I, I just blurted right out, well, we know that was a white guy, mm. because there's, there's stereotypes that, we live into, and it's it's really bad. And I I got to tell you that working in the city of Detroit as a white guy, um, with other white people from the suburbs, it, it's just truly amazing what comes out of people's mouths. It mm. just blows my mind. 
So I'm sorry, but Mr. Tim Scott is uh, living in some kind of fantasy. Hmm. Uh, John, I, I I really appreciate the call and and the comments. Uh, before I let you before I let you go, I want to ask h- how you respond to the things that you're talking about. You're talking about seeing things that I think African Americans don't get to see, right? Uh, the things that uh, other white Americans say uh, when we're when we're not around. But but h- how do you react to that? And, and do you feel compelled to kind of answer that uh, in those situations? It's getting me in trouble, but that's fine. I'm, I'm getting to that age where it's just, uh, you, and, and I'm sorry, Stephen, but they, this goes on right in front of people. Mm-hmm. The people say the dumbest things right in front of people because it's, it's natural to them. They don't even try to hide it. Or, well, they, they don't even realize it. I'm sorry. They just don't even realize it. Hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, John, I, I really appreciate the call uh, and the comments. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, uh, we're going to continue this conversation with uh, Dr. Rayshon Ray about America and racism and Senator Tim Scott. We'll also get to more of your phone calls. Ronald in Detroit, Tim in Bagley, uh, we'll get to you next. Uh, Trey in Detroit, if you call us back, we'll get you on this time. Uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Is America a racist country? That's what we're talking about today on Detroit Today. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host, and my guest is Dr. Rayshon Ray. He is uh, the Rubenstein Fellow of Governance Studies at the Brookings Institution and recently wrote an essay for Brookings titled, Is the United States a Racist Country? In response to Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina, an African-American member of the GOP caucus in the Senate, the only African-American member uh, who answered uh, President Joe Biden's speech in front of a joint session of Congress with a speech in which he asserted that America is not a racist country anymore, that uh, we've moved beyond the idea of institutionalized inequality in this country. We want to hear what you think as well. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phone's call. And tell us what you think about that question. Uh, Is the United States a racist country? But also tell us how you reacted to Senator Tim Scott and what he said. How did you react to President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris, who both I think tried to mollify uh, uh, the people who were who were uh, supporting uh, Tim Scott by making statements that were pretty similar uh, to what to what he said, and again contrary to the narrative that has taken shape in the last year, where I think a lot of people are much more willing to talk about racism the way it exists and the things that we can do. Uh, to make it better. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can go to Facebook or Twitter, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation that way. Trey, welcome to the show. Good morning to each of you. Yes. And, yeah, I just think that this be, should be the beginning of a movement in which anytime someone makes that statement about America not being racist, 
There should be a hand that goes up in front of them, an audience of one or an audience of a hundred. Ooh, 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 call on me. When did it stop? If you, if you say it's not racist, when did it stop? Yeah. Yeah. No, Trey, I, uh, <laughs> I think that's a great, that's a great response. Um, you know, Dr. Ray, one of the things that I think is difficult here, and this is, uh, you know, this is a problem with, with rhetoric, is that if someone makes a statement that is sort of patently false, uh, you can get drawn into a conversation in which you're sort of uh, uh, feeding the absurdity of that by trying to prove that it's wrong, by trying to show that it's wrong. And I think that's one of the, that's one of the things that um, uh, the GOP has become very good at is, is kind of baiting those kind of situations, say something that's so absurd uh, as a way of drawing reasonable people into a foolish argument. Um, wh- wh- how, how do you, I guess, respond uh, when, when things like that happen? Sure. I mean, I mean they're masters at it. And, and of course, I mean, I deal with this all the time, whether that be on Capitol Hill or, or in a classroom. And typically what I do is, is pose a series of questions back to people. I think the question we just heard is, is, the, is the most central question, mm-hmm. is when did it stop? And I could go on a rant about that. But I think there are some questions to pose back to people. Because oftentimes what I realize, and this gets back to a statement I said earlier, is that people, people over-individualize racism. So it's not that they don't think that racist things happen. They just think that racism is not systemically embedded in our social institutions in our laws, in our policies. Mm -hmm. So we have to make statements that specifically highlights that. For example, just a few questions for people to ponder is why did black small businesses in Detroit get less access to PPP funding? But of course, that wasn't just in Detroit. That was across the country Mm -hmm. where over 90% of black small businesses were blocked out and over 40% of them closed during COVID. What would people's response to that be? Why are our schools more segregated today than they were 40 years ago when I was born. Well, there was a Supreme Court case in 2005 that essentially allowed school districts to rezone. And it's led to one of the mass movements in resegregating schools. It's something that people don't pay attention to, particularly people who are middle-aged. Because when we were growing up, we saw some of the most racial diversity in schools. Our kids are not having the same reality unless we can pay for it or manufacture it. Why is it easier to buy a gun than vote? Look, I'm from Tennessee. Tennessee is the poster child for being on the wrong side of this issue. Why is that the case? We have to ask ourselves who they are trying to stop from voting. And why is it that studies show that white people with the criminal record are more likely to get a job than black people without a criminal record? And finally, why is it that being a senator doesn't reduce the likelihood of being stopped by police? See, Oftentimes, we only stop at economics when we talk about racism. People make assumptions. Oh, if you have the ability to make money and get an education, there's some kind of way that stops. And one thing that President Lyndon Johnson taught us during the 1960s is that racism is not simply economic. It's also social and cultural. And one of the statements he said that was very profound, he said, if you can convince the lowest white man, and he was talking about economics in low and high, Mm -hmm. if you can convince the lowest white man that he's better than the best black man, you can pick his pockets and he won't even know that you were there. Yeah, yeah, wow. Uh, Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Tim in Bagley. Tim, welcome to the show. Good morning, Dr. Ray. 
yeah, I was a little taken aback by that statement. But then again, uh, let us all please refrain from calling him all the names that he says he has been called, and let us not sure. not understand the fact that black Americans, African Americans, whatever we deserve to call ourselves, we deserve to be in any position, in any organization, uh, political organization or any school or whatever, because everyone has the right to develop whatever thoughts and um, principles that they wish to follow. Case in point, I listened to and followed Richard Steele quite quite closely when he was the chair of the Republican Party. Uh, in time, I kind of figured, well, he's going to do what he wants to do, and he did, but then, of course, the Tea Party started to infiltrate, and, of course, he threw his hands up, and he was sick of it, and he saw what was going on, and he bailed. Smart guy. I could care less who is where as far as political affiliations. But in this case, I think Mr. Scott is either a plant or he's confused or he's both. Hmm. I'm pretty sure that um, the Republican Party put him up there to get the others who are easily confused. And as you say, if I can convince you of one thing, I can pick your pockets clean intellectually, subconsciously. That's what he's there to do. Because if you're going to then cite that you were raised by a single mom, you came out of poverty, but yet you were called the N-word, and of course you were pulled over and singled out, then come on. You don't understand the differences between your skin color and the effects and the results it gets you versus somebody else. Right. And Dr. Ray, you mentioned the individualization or lack thereof. You're so correct in that, because whites, and please my, black, my white brothers and sisters, don't, don't be angry, but they are oblivious to the fact that someone will pull them over five times as many as anyone else. They are oblivious to the fact that their corporations don't get the funds and the money and the bank loans that they do and blacks don't. Hmm. Farmers, he can walk in off the farm, kick the manure from between his toes and get another $5 million for his soybean crops, but yet the African-American peanut or hog farmer has got to go in there and sit down and talk harder and meaner and harsher to get maybe just $1,000. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I Tim. also want to close by saying this. Tim, Scott, me, you, or anyone else has got to understand. Let's get the discussion going because the sooner and the harder, the more intent and the more ugly it makes you feel, the chances really are higher that you'll see what it is that you have been oblivious to, that you can understand why people say someone else right. is racist. Yeah. And finally, mm. no, Tim, is, Tim, Tim I'm going to run out of time, but uh, but but I, I absolutely love the call and the thoughts. Uh, we've, we've got about a minute left, Doctor Ray. I, I I do want to get you to talk just a little about what to make of Tim Scott and his use in this in this role. So, so, I mean, first, the comments we heard are exactly right. I think this is the bottom line. Being upwardly mobile does not negate encountering racist hurdles on the pathway to, to success. And our current system is set up for some people to have to jump over hurdles to succeed, while others get to run simply to the finish line. And part of what we have to realize is that Black people who succeed often walk on pins and needles because they realize that their success, and more so maintaining it, is precarious. And I think that sums up Tim Scott. As a result, some black people aim to make white people feel comfortable. And most of us are actually socialized to do so, particularly when you're from a state like South Carolina and you're the sole black Republican. Yeah. Yeah. OK, Dr. Rayshawn Ray, it was really great to have you here with us on Detroit today for this conversation. Thanks so much for joining. Anytime. Thank you. That is going to do it for us today. I'll be back tomorrow and I hope you will, too. This is WDET-FM 1019, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.